0: Well, by way of a bit of review, uh, we've been on a journey, as you know, and uh, we are, we've been talking, you know, kind of in the last couple of meetings, we talked about how God pardons us and gives us the righteousness of Jesus, treats us as if we never made a mistake, which is a wonderful work. But I talked about the fact, remember last night, it's as if you got stopped by the traffic policeman and you were in court, and the judge would extend mercy to you, but uh, because you didn't have a new heart, you would still make mistakes. And some people get confused thinking that when they receive the rights of Christ, everything is taken care of. But I think most of you would acknowledge that it's not that easy, that there's still something wrong. And Paul refers to that, uh, uh, that there is a power working. Uh, In Romans 7, he talks about how he says, I find there is in me a you know, a, a law working my members. And so uh, last night and tonight, uh, we want to talk a little bit about how God deals with that. And, uh, and then tomorrow night, we want to talk about the place of trials. We're going to share some things with you in reference to trials and transformation and spiritual growth. You know, we tell people if you become a Christian, you'll, your marriage will be happy, your children will be sweet. And They'll get a job and everything else, but it's not always like that in the short-term. And uh, sometimes they struggle because they were given certain expectations. Um, and then we're going to talk about the lifestyle of the revived. And that will be a paradigm shift for you. Of that I'm convinced. It was for me. And then Sabbath we're going to talk about how to make sure our prayers are are answered. But before we go any further, let me have a word of prayer and. Ask that the Lord to be with us, Father in Heaven. I thank you that we have the opportunity of being here again this evening to learn together at your feet. It's been a wonderful blessing to pray together. There's much to adore you for, uh, Lord. Uh, we have confessed some. I think we all confess more at home as well. And then, Lord, we have lifted up our petitions, and then we remembered various things to thank you for. Lord, our experience comes from you from beginning to end. I'm thankful, Lord, that last night we, we learned about, or one of the nights we learned about how it's Christ that changes the heart. And Lord, the verse that was in my mind as we were praying was, is that, that you'll make the crooked places straight. Lord, I have crooked places in my life and I think my brothers and sisters here do as well. And Lord, we're not too proud to admit it. And Lord, I don't want to be what I am now. I want to be completely changed. I want to be that new person uh, who's abiding in you and being used by you and rejoicing in you. Father, do it for me. Do it for my brothers and sisters as well. We're learning together. I've been chosen. Please speak through me to them. Modify my words to whatever they need so that they will truly be blessed, Lord, by what they hear. And then, Father, might we let others know and might they see, Lord, that something has changed in our lives. So please forgive us now of anything Satan could use, Lord, to discourage us with, to distract us with, to uh, to dissuade us, Lord, to, to, that he could do, Lord, to, to keep us from hearing this evening. And please send the Holy Spirit in abundant overflowing measure. We're praying for your success, not Dan's success. And Lord, when we pray for the church and the leaders of the church, we're not praying for their success. We're praying for your success, Lord, because we're just the body. You're the head. So we ask these things, and we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name. I want to uh, ask you a question as we begin. Do you think there's a difference between Dying to self and being emptied of self. Do you think there might be a difference of meaning there? And this evening we want to go from dying to self to what happens when God empties us and then fills us with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Just by way of review, when we talk about dying to self, we think of, for example, the rich young ruler who was told what? You want to follow me? Sell whatever you have, okay? Take up the cross and then follow, right? He was unwilling to sell what he had. Therefore, he was unable to lift the cross and he was not a follower of Jesus. And I believe Jesus was, in a sense, saying the very same thing when he said, if any man wants to follow me, let him deny himself. That's the sell whatever you have take up the cross every day, because it's when we do those things that we're able to follow. And uh, if we read the New Testament in terms of Jesus teaching His interaction with, with other people, we don't find that He tells anyone else that they are to sell everything they have and give it to the poor, do we? Why did Jesus tell that young man that He needed to sell everything? Was He just being arbitrary and saying, I want to pick on you. I want to make you a a, a test case. Is that what he was doing? What was the issue? I think he loved it too much. He loved it too much, yeah. How much did he love it? Mm -hmm. So much so that it stood between him and heaven. And it's because I believe that Jesus knew that that stood in the way, that Jesus said that's the very thing that unless you sell it, it won't work. Now, it just I am reminded now as I am standing here that this morning I heard a testimony of a seminary student who said when he felt the call to become a pastor, he sold his car, he sold his computer, he sold everything because he just felt like God was saying, you need to make that kind of, of change. Major things. We don't know about how much, but, but what he shared. He mentioned the car, the computer. It is interesting, he told us that about a day later someone gave him a car, and then later someone gave him a computer, he mentioned to his wife that, uh, you know, how can I be a pastor? I don't have any suits. And she said, well, let's pray about it. And so they made a matter of prayer. And, and was it that evening they were having prayer? It was soon. I don't remember where they were. He said someone came up to him and said, uh, come out, you know, I, I want to... I don't remember what he said, but he took him out to his car. and he opened up the, the vehicle and, and hanging there was 30 ties. And the man said, you're going to be a pastor, you need ties. and uh, This is Dan's paraphrase. And so he got all these ties. And the man said, I have some suits for you too. And uh, later, I don't know if he brought them to his house or where, but he brought six suits, and the guy wasn't the same size. He was smaller, he was shorter, and he said, well, it's not going to work. But the man brought suits, six of them, and he said they were the best fitting suits he'd ever had. Now, there's a significant point here, and that is, that God is always asking the question, would we be willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? God is always asking, would we be willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? It's interesting, if you look at the story of great Christians, you find that God called them make some very significant sacrifices. It was almost like God intentionally led them down the pathway. I think of, for example, Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was happily preparing to go to China as a missionary. To prepare, he had chosen to live in England where he was studying medicine as if he were already in China. So, for example, he chose to get rid of his soft mattress. He chose to eat you know, in a, in a very frugal way, tried to give as much as he could to the poor, and he chose not to ask his employer for money. Because he believed in China he would have to depend on God, and so he wanted to take that approach. I, I, that's the rough detail of, of, of how he was living. And so, he was preparing, and, and that's a great way to prepare to go on, on in mission service. Someone told me, if you want to prepare, go without electricity, for 30 days before you go to the mission field and you'll be better prepared, you know, by the time you get there. So he was, in effect, living in London as if he were in China already, but rejoicing. And sometimes he didn't have very much money, but on one particular occasion, uh, a man came to him who was extremely poor, and he said, I have no money. The priest won't come and and, uh, pray for my wife. Would you please come? Hudson Taylor was more than willing, and so they headed down the street and uh, it became obvious that there was a great need and uh, Hudson Taylor began feeling very convicted that he should help this man, but in his pocket was only one coin and that one coin was the only money that he had. And it was like a silver dollar or something. It was a coin that could have been split into two, or a dime that could have been split into you know, two nickels or something. And he thought to himself, "If, if I had Two coins, I'd be willing to give one of them, but I'm unwilling to give all that I have. And I believe that God sometimes calls us to make those kinds of decisions because He's testing whether we're really serious in our walk with Him. And so Hudson Taylor gets to the house and he's feeling convicted before. He'd been rejoicing in Jesus and now he's feeling miserable and he thinks to himself, I always feel good when I pray. I'm going to pray. But as he's praying, there's this voice saying, how can you pray when it's within your means to help this man? And finally he reached in his pocket and he gave it to the man. The man didn't know what he was doing. He told him, this is all that I have. He said, as soon as he gave that coin, joy flooded back into his soul and he was rejoicing. And he says, as I went home that night, my heart was as light as my pocket. My heart was as light as my pocket. He got home. The next morning he got up and he reminded the Lord that when we give to the poor, you know, it's a loan to the Lord. And, uh, and so he asked that, uh, that God would quickly return his investment. And in the mail that morning came uh, an envelope with, I believe, four times what he'd given away. And he felt like it was a, a great return on investment. I think that's the amount that came back. But he says later, he says that, I believe that had I refused to give that coin, God may not have used me later as a missionary. It was a small thing, but a very significant thing. Now, one area where God often calls us to surrender is the area of relationships. It's interesting that when George Mueller found the Lord observing another Christian kneeling for the first time in Halle, Germany, it wasn't too long before he was in a relationship with a a young woman. And he realized that that he liked her, and because of the relationship, he began losing his his interest in a relationship with God and finally he realized that he either had to say yes to the to the woman or yes to God, and he chose God okay and Hudson Taylor was in love with a with a with a woman too before he went to china and and realized at some point that she didn't want to go and finally decided that that surrendering everything for God was the more important thing. I wonder, to what degree have you surrendered every area of your life? That's what dying to self is all about. It's where you truly say, Lord, everything, every area of my life, I choose to surrender to you. Goes back quite a few years. At one time, I was an executive recruiter looking for senior executives of insurance companies and hospitals. Now, I remember one time, uh, a gentleman called me uh, from Detroit. He was the, uh, the head of quality for a hospital system there. And uh, he was a Mennonite, and he said, Dan, you're the only recruiter that I can call and talk with about a dilemma I have. He said, I've been approached by Goshen College to be their dean of academic affairs. But, you know, I have a background in quality and I have a degree from not only medical school but the Rand Institute and, and, you know, I feel like God has prepared me to work in quality. And I just don't understand what's going on. We talked for a while and finally agreed that he should continue to let God open doors, you know, as God chose that he should not arbitrarily close any door. Because if God was working, what right did he have to say, you know, I won't go any further. And he agreed. Now, I didn't hear anything for quite a while, and finally I called him up and I said, Mike, I'm, I'm curious. Whatever happened? And he said, Dan, a really funny thing happened. He said, I continued being a finalist as they went through the interview process until there was just two of us, and I still didn't want to accept the position, but finally one day I said, God, if you really want me to do this, I will not refuse you. I'll be willing to say yes. And he said, as soon as I said yes, all the doors closed. And it struck me. God knew he didn't want to surrender. And therefore, God put the pressure until he was prepared to say, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. And I believe for the rich young ruler, going back to that story, God knew that he valued those things more than the will of God. He valued those things more than a relationship with God. And God knew that those things Stood between Him and happiness. Stood between Him and serving God and between Him and eternity. And so God has an uncanny way of looking into our lives and figuring out the one thing we don't want Him to mess with and says, by the way, that's got to change. And then we struggle. And it's interesting that sometimes it's money, sometimes it's relationships. Whatever the case might be, God is testing to see if we're willing to completely surrender. Now, life isn't, um, let me put it in the positive way, life is sometimes complicated, right? Because we're all attached to other people. And sometimes what I find is people are very concerned about what others may say or not say, how this will affect relationships, how this will affect jobs. A couple of things. I am convinced that God never makes mistakes. That if we really want God's help, we need to put our lives back into God's hands, say, God, do whatever you want to do, because you know best what what, what will work to bring about what I am wanting. It is very easy. I have done it myself to say, God, you know that I can't until such and such. And if we are married, sometimes the such and such is the person we married. But I believe that, in most cases, when God calls a person, He calls one of the people, not both, because He wants to know if you're willing to obey. Did you hear me? Because if it's always, well, if such-and-such says, you're really not obeying at all. Did you hear me? And God wants to have the first word, and He wants to have the last word, and He wants to have every word in between. That doesn't mean you do something abrupt and, you know, say, well, if you won't come, I'll, you know, I'll, whatever. Not saying that, but the point is, is that if you carefully and prayerfully seek to know God's will, it is at the peril of your soul and the peril of your, of your family's well-being to ignore what God has said. Did you hear me? Now, a couple of things. We haven't really talked about how to know God's will this week, have we? I don't think we have. God is not in the business of having us jump off a cliff, Okay. God's not in the business. If you look at at people like George Mueller, Hudson Taylor, God took care of them perfectly. If you look at how God cared for our pioneers, He took care of them perfectly. You know, God is God has a different lifestyle. He has a different value system. And I tell people, if you really want to know God's will, I mean. You know, I use Rose as an example because it's something I'm familiar with. I tell people, if you want God to arrange your marriage, you better be prepared to accept God's values when it comes to who the choice might be. Many of us, we have our own ideas about what's the ideal person, and it's colored badly by what the world says. And because of that, terrible mistakes are made. Okay? But here's a couple of things that that I think can help you. If you want to know God's will, and this comes from George Mueller, but you'll agree with this completely, he said 90% of the challenge is being open to whatever God wants. That's 90% of the challenge. He said in his own experience that if, if you have a strong desire in a particular direction, it will often drown out the voice of God. So if you want to know God's will, you need to be able to go to say, and say to God, if you want me to stay, you want me to go, just let me know, and I plan to follow. Secondly, God will never lead you contrary to His will, uh, contrary to what the Bible teaches. So if you get asked to do something that would cause you to compromise your values, you don't need to even pray about it. You know that can't be God's will. Third, when God is leading, you'll see Him open and close doors. Um, When I uh, moved back to, to Berrien Springs from where I lived in Pennsylvania, God had made it so clear, I would have felt scared to stay. And when Rose and I got married, it was so clear about our getting together that as Rose has put it before, it would have been sin not to get married, okay? So God will make things absolutely clear if you want, if you're serious with God. Did you hear what I just said? If you are serious with God, God's not into casual prayers, but if you're earnest, and you really want to know His will, He'll show you. I believe that. George Mueller then said, three, uh, 4, that uh, the peace of God will rule in your heart. Colossians 3.16. And he said, anytime he didn't sense the peace of God in in the process, um, he, would, he would just wait. One time he waited several years before he built one of the orphanages, because though he had a lot of the money and, and he should have gone forward, he just did not have the piece that said this was the time. And later a piece of property became available that was very close to the other building, so it was much more ideal. And finally he said, and this is very wise, um, if you feel like God is leading you a ways in a particular direction, go find a mature Christian and ask them their advice. Because a mature Christian who cares enough to tell you the truth um may be able to see things that that you are missing because of a strong interest in a particular direction. and I think that's probably especially true for newer Christians or younger people who, you know, maybe it has to do with the heart or something. Okay? I say that because, you know, when we talk about dying to self, it's about having no will of our own, right? But because we have no will of our own doesn't mean God doesn't have a will. God has a very clear, strong will and God will never ask you to jump off a cliff. God will make it very clear the way that He's leading you. And when you're not sure what you should do, it's better to wait than to jump. Okay? Too many people who have have had, you know, a desire to serve God and they've made dramatic decisions and later discover that maybe it wasn't God leading them, for example, to... to, to Use all the money in their credit card to go off on a mission trip, you know, or 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 do something like that, and later discover that it's not as easy as before. George Mueller, by the way, he followed the Bible in terms of debt and everything else, and got to care of him. Anyway, so when we're talking about dying to self, I believe we're talking about choosing to surrender our lives to the into God's control. To the degree that a, that a dead person would be led forward, where we choose to say, Lord, just show me what it is. And as I said, God recognizes that part that we're holding out. And God says, somehow that has to be given up to. And you know, if, if you pray, you know there's are certain areas that are harder to surrender, right? Yeah. And uh, God wants to make sure that those things are addressed. Mm-hmm. Now, I need to tell you for both Hudson Taylor and George Mueller who, who had to give up a relationship in following God, they both had amazing marriages later. Uh, Hudson uh, married Marie Dyer, and she already spoke Mandarin Chinese. She was a perfect partner, and uh, I've actually been to the archives and held the letters, and he calls her his precious one, his treasure, dearest. Uh, he was very much in love with her, and uh, there was no difficulty in their relationship. Um, George Mueller. he said, there was never a moment in my marriage that I did not look with favor upon um, Mary. Um, He said, we had a perfect marriage. We never argued, we never fought. There was just this perfect relationship. Uh, She was six years older, but she was perfectly suited in that she was more the business and accountant type, and he was more the pastor-administrator type, and so uh, they worked perfectly. And he said there was a secret for their perfect marriage. He said, we were committed to always and only working for God. Secondly, we were committed to always being busy for God. Three, we never let the work of God get in the way of our devotionals. And four, we often prayed together. He said that was the secret of our perfect marriage. And so, uh, even though God says, you know, this is something you have to give up, it's not because God plans to give you a stone. It's because He's got something so much better in mind for you that you can imagine it. But if you don't have faith in His wisdom and surrender to His leading, remember I talked about how how justification maintained by what? Faith and constant surrender. If we don't have faith in God's wisdom and, and surrender to His leading and follow the way that He's leading, we're going to miss many blessings. And I think you probably know that at some level, regardless of what I might say. Well, we want to talk about this matter of why we refer to the need to be emptied. When we talk about the need to be emptied, I believe she's referring especially to the need to be filled by the Holy Spirit, be filled by the presence of God. And so, you know, if if, if you want to um, You know, if if you want to drink or something, you have to put something in it, right? And so, uh, in the same way, when we are completely filled with with self and and our own ways of doing things, God says, before I can really come in in a complete way, you need to be willing to be emptied of self so that you can be filled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, The problem is, and I don't have the visual here, but imagine if I had uh, two glasses in front of us and each one were half filled, one with water and one with uh, sulfuric acid, and the one with water represents the 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 pure life, the more Christian life. We represent the sulfuric acid, and they say, "Well, I want the life of Jesus. So I'll pour a little bit of the water, and would you drink it?" Mm-mm. What if I dumped all the all the uh, the water to dilute that sulfuric acid? Would you would you drink it? Absolutely not, because it'd be dangerous, right? Jesus is not into the business of improving. He says, "We need to completely empty you of of the things that." that are unacceptable, so that you can be completely filled by me. Okay? Um, so let's look at, at a couple of verses here. John 6, verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him who sent me. Okay? Jesus came with one thought uppermost in His mind, that He was here to do the will of His Father. The will of His Father was what in the book of Philippians chapter 2? It was to humble Himself, right? To humble Himself, take the form of a, of a servant. Jesus came emptied of what He was up in heaven in obedience to His Father. Okay? Notice a few quotations here. We cannot retain self and yet be filled with the fullness of God. We must be emptied of self. If heaven is gained by us at last, it will only be, I'm at line 778, it will only be through the the renunciation of self, in other words, the the abandonment of self and the receiving of the mind of Christ. Pride and self-sufficiency must be crucified and the vacuum supplied with what? With the spirit of and the power of God. Notice what she says next. Are we willing to pay the price required of us for eternal life? Are we ready to sit down and count the cost and conclude that heaven is worth the sacrifice of what? Of dying to self, of having our will brought into perfect conformity with the will of God. Notice that. That's the price. Being willing to have our wills brought into perfect conformity to the will of God. What would it mean to have your life in perfect conformity to the will of God? Just imagine the breadth of that level of surrender and of devotedness to Jesus. She says, that's the price. She says, until we are willing, the transforming grace of God will not be manifested upon us. That's why I've told you many times uh, over the course of our meetings together that ultimately, I believe, surrender is the key to the life of victory. Surrender is the key. And she says, until... What did I read there just now? Until uh, we are willing... Until uh, we are willing, the transforming grace of God will not be manifested. And that refers to being brought into perfect conformity with the will of God. When we present our emptied nature to God, He will, by His Holy Spirit, supply the vacuum made by the renunciation of self and give us of His fullness. Okay? To receive the Holy Spirit, we have to get rid of that which stands in the way. Okay? Line 791. No outward observances can take the place of simple faith an entire renunciation of self, but no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Okay? Some people come to meetings and say, man, I've got to work on this, but you can't empty yourself of self either. Mm -hmm. Basically, God calls you into a special school where he leads you to learn to trust him more and trust yourself less and less. And he also begins to help you get rid of your ideas and view life a little different. And we're going to have one of those emptying of self moments together Friday evening when we look at the new paradigm of the lifestyle of the revived. Okay? I hope you'll come. But notice that. We were at line 792. But no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart for what? I can't give it. So when you pray this evening, you can actually on your knees say, Lord, I want to give you my heart. I can't even do that. Would you please take it? It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unChrist-like self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. God will not force himself on us, but if we make the choice, he will do a work of lifting us up into something entirely new. That's why when Jesus spoke to someone, for example, like the woman at the well, was, was Jesus saying, man, this is a, a difficult Situation? Not at all. Because he knew that that what counted in the future was what he would do through the Holy Spirit in their life. And so there is hope with every single person who is willing to let Jesus come into their lives. Okay? Now, how long does this need to go on? 798. It is not only at the beginning of the Christian life that this renunciation of self is to be made. At every step Heavenward, it is to be renewed. All our good works are dependent on a power outside of ourselves. Did you know that everything you do right is dependent on a power outside of yourself? All of your success, you know, in, in the various positions you hold, is dependent upon a power outside of yourself. Praise God for the good news of the gospel. Notice. Therefore, line 800, there needs to be a continual reaching out of the heart after God, a continual, earnest, heartbreaking confession of sin and humbling of the soul before Him. Only by constant renunciation of self and dependence on Christ can we walk safely. So every day, every moment of every day, it's a constant, Lord, I can't do it, but You can. And it's a being held and a being girded up by God. And so when you talk to someone, it's the quick prayer, Lord, I need your help. It's like, uh, I think it was Ezra, wasn't it? That he was the the cupbearer, do I have the right person? Or Nehemiah, okay, Nehemiah. That you know, the moment comes and what does he do? Lord, you need to help me. He he, he sends up a quick prayer to, to God. Okay, so that's the emptying part. Now let's talk about the filling part. We must be filled by an indwelling Savior. Turn to John 14, if you would, for a moment. John 15. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If we were to talk to the branch, what would the branch tell us about what it means to be a branch? What would it say? What would the branch say? I can't live without the vine. It would say, I have no life apart from the vine. In fact, my life is the vine's life coming through me, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That is the great need when we talk about being filled by the Holy Spirit. It's the recognition that we have no spiritual life apart from the inflowing power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why you really can't afford to leave at the beginning of the day without making sure that the Holy Spirit's there to work. It's something that has to be done every day. Okay? Now, notice it says, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. What does the vine dresser do? We live in Berrien County, so we know about vines, about grape vines. What does the vine dresser do? He prunes. So, do you, so does that have a dramatic effect on, 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 the, on, on the branches that are there? Absolutely. Is fruit dependent upon that pruning? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you pray and say, Lord, please... Help me to bear more fruit. What are you actually praying for? Pruning, right? But luckily, the father is the vine dresser. And do they do pruning of of grapes with big machines and they sit up in the tractors, or how do they do it? Actually, they're never closer to the vine than when they're actually doing the pruning because they look very carefully to make sure they're only cutting what needs to be cut off. And you and I, when we go buy grapes, if we're lucky enough, or go you pick, it's wonderful. But we know that the beauty is because there was so much pruning that took place, and that's what we're going to learn about tomorrow night. But the point is, God is in charge. Okay? And and for the branch that's there, that branch has no life apart from the vine. The moment it's cut off, the branch no longer has life, and we should believe that. Now notice this amazing, amazing quotation. Um, it says the Lord Jesus loves His people and when they put their trust, I'm at line 806, the Lord Jesus loves His people and when they put their trust in Him depending wholly upon Him, He strengthens them. Notice that. When they put their trust in Him and depend wholly upon Him, what does He do? He strengthens them. He will live through them giving them the inspiration of His Sanctifying Spirit. Notice that. He will live through them. Okay? Giving them the inspiration of His Sanctifying Spirit, imparting to the soul, what? A vital transfusion of Himself. I know there's a few nurses here. What does it mean to receive a transfusion? You're a nurse. What does that mean? Yeah, and so what does this say, in effect? Jesus said, I will give you a transfusion of myself into you. Notice the effect of that. I love this quotation. He acts through their faculties and causes them to choose his will and to act out his character. Isn't that an amazing, amazing quotation on how victory in the Christian life is all about? It's not about being strong in ourselves. It's when we are wholly dependent, And Jesus comes into our lives and gives us a transfusion of himself and he he causes us to choose his will and to act out his character. And he wants to have that kind of relationship to us 100% of the time. I did read that correctly, did I not? Notice the next one. Jesus has life in himself. And this life He offers to impart freely to souls that are dead in trespasses and sins." Notice that. He has life, and He wants to offer that life to what? People that are strong Christians? No. To souls that are dead. Yea, He shares with them His purity. Praise God. Jesus will share with me His purity. His honor and His exaltation. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us That we should be called the sons of God. The sapless branch engrafted into the living vine becomes a part of the vine. It lives while united to the vine. So the Christian lives by virtue of his union with Christ. The sinful and the human is linked to the holy and the divine. Okay? That's the secret of power. Power is not your resolutions. Power is not your discipline. Power is the presence of Jesus in my life. And that's why I tell people, victory is not a behavior. It's a person who changes my behavior, an indwelling person who changes my behavior. We must do a part of it. We must make choices. But when Jesus comes in, somehow he comes in with an influx of moral power that, that truly changes everything about us. Did you hear me? He comes in. Now, on a practical basis, on a daily basis, how do we receive this transfusion of Jesus? How does it happen? Well, that's a part of it. We ask for other suggestions. Actually, it's through reading the Bible. As I've read Ellen White, I'm convinced that it's actually in reading the Bible that the life of Jesus comes into us. And that's why that time of Jesus is so critically important. The surrender is to get ourselves out of the way. The being emptied is to keep us out. But when it actually comes to the to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, I believe it's Jesus. If you would, I, and I only have one quotation there. There's another quotation that's wonderful in the book... Um, Ministry of healing, but if you look at line six eighty three, notice this six eighty three. We're going backwards now. That's why we use line numbers six eighty three. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. The scriptures are the great agency in the transformation of character. The scriptures are the great agency in the transformation of character. Christ prayed, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If studied and obeyed. Notice that. If studied and obeyed. Not just the study, but if studied and obeyed, the word of God works in the heart, subduing every unholy attribute. Okay? The Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin, And the faith that springs up in the heart works by love to Christ, conforming us in body and soul and spirit to His own image. Then God can use us to do His will. The power given us through the scriptures, given us, works from within outwardly, leading us to communicate to others the truth that has been communicated to us. Line 691. Received into the heart, the leaven of truth will regulate the desires, purify the thoughts, and sweeten the disposition. And finally, 694, the purity, the holiness of the life of Jesus as presented from the Word of God possesses more power to reform and transform the character than do all the efforts put forth in picturing the sins and crimes of men, etc. One steadfast look to the Savior uplifted upon the cross will do more to purify the mind and heart from every defilement than will all the scientific explanations by the ablest tongue. Finally, 700, the Bible is a storehouse that supplies the soul with nourishing food. Mm-hmm. That's why the Bible is all important because we know from what we've studied that, that, that we have to die to those things that, that cause us not to choose God because it's all dependent on this, you know, this faith and constant surrender. We talked about that. And, and we need to you know, lose confidence in ourselves. That, I believe, is the, the emptying part And when we receive Jesus, it's actually through the reading of the Word that gives us that feeling. And the more we have, the more we have of Him. Okay? Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. He said, I am the Word, the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Exactly. Okay? We could could read more on that page. I don't want to. I want to now give you just a... uh, You all have this handwork, this handout, right? Let's look at this for just a moment. This comes from the book, The Life of Victory. I would urge you to get a copy. It's not on the page on the web. My website address, by the way, is Path to Prayer, P A T H, number two prayer dot com. And you'll find all of the talks are there in MP3 form already, plus the handouts. You can download them as well. But notice, and I'm just going to read this. Me wrote the following, It is hard for those who are slaves to sin and evil habits they have long sought to overcome to believe that by simply accepting Christ and yielding to Him, they instantly receive a new nature and power enabling them to live a new life. Yet this is true, and countless thousands have experienced this mighty miracle. Man of himself has not only no life, but He has no peace, no victory, no faith, no righteousness, nor any other attribute of God. The Father gathered up all the blessings of infinite love and bestowed them upon us in the precious gift of His Son. Nothing has been withheld. All is embraced and included in the one great gift. Is it not strange, He asks, that everywhere men are praying and pleading for what has already been graciously given, They pray for peace, but the Father answers, I have already bestowed my peace upon you in Christ. Receive him, and you have peace. Men pray for life, and the reply is the same. I've given you eternal life. It is in my Son. Receive him, and you have life. Men cry to God for victory, and the answer is, there is no victory for humanity except in the victor. Christ took our humanity and won everlasting victory. Okay, and peace are gifts. So is victory a gift. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory. Why do men struggle and fight to obtain what comes as a gift in Christ? They talk of victory on this point and victory on that point when if they would only believe it, Christ is the victory on every point. It is not some new gift from God that we need. It is a better understanding of the fact that he has already given us everything in Christ. It is laying hold by faith of the blessings which are already ours in him. Now notice the next paragraph, which comes from the book Steps to Christ. By faith you became Christ, and by faith you are to grow up in him. By notice, by giving and taking, you are to give all, your heart, your will, your service. Give yourself to him to obey all his requirements. Notice that word all there. That's key. Give yourself to Him to obey all His requirements, and you must take all. Christ, the fullness of all blessing, to abide in your heart, to be your strength, your righteousness, your everlasting helper, to give you power to obey. Now notice how he ends up, Mean McGuire here. He says, How many there are who have given all to God. They have made a full surrender to Him and desire only to do His will, Yet they are often filled with disappointment because of a conscious lack and failure. The secret of all this failure is here disclosed. They have given all, but they have not taken all. You see, if we only dwell on dying to self and being of self, we have not gotten the secret yet. The secret is Jesus. But this dying to self, this complete surrender and this being willing to, to live a completely dependent life on the vine, so to speak, that is the place of victory. And I suspect that Adventists are much better at giving and surrendering than they are at receiving. Would you agree? Absolutely. But that is a secret. That is the secret of victory. And so, as we talk about revival in this church, and we pray for revival, unless we are seeking victory from the victor, we will be wasting our time. Did you hear me? And how does it happen on a daily basis? As, as we spend time in the Word of God. Somehow, that's what nourishes us. That is what changes us. And if you study the lives of, of great Christians, I've mentioned Hudson Taylor uh, this evening already. He was a struggler until his 40s when he received a letter from a man by the name of John McCarthy. And he'd read a book uh, called Christ is All. And in that book, the man said, Christ received his... His holiness begun, Christ maintained, his holiness continued. And when Hudson Taylor finally realized that his hope was in Jesus, he went from being a struggling Christian to a happy Christian. And from that point on, they said, nothing fazed him. He was just happy serving Jesus. We don't have time to read that uh, this evening. But I want to tell you that, that ultimately, Christianity is all about Jesus when we get out of the way. Okay? So... When we talk about being righteous by faith, you know what? It not only means being righteous by faith in terms of, of our standing before God, but it is called being righteous in our actions by faith as well. Both of them are a work of faith. Well, we need to spend some time praying. Um, why don't we spend some time praying about what we have thought about tonight for a few minutes as we close, and uh, then we will come to an end. I wish it's so late, I don't want to take the time for questions, but if you have questions, let me ask you to do this. Just write out your questions and give them to me uh, tomorrow evening and I'll make sure that I take some time to address them, okay? Let's take some time to pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons,